0: We're going to continue our series on resurrection power on working through the question of what difference does the fact that Jesus rose from the dead 2,000 years ago make for us today. And today I want to talk about what it means to be transformed by resurrection power, how the power of the resurrection can bring transformation to our lives. You know, over the years, as you might suspect, I have many conversations about the faith with uh, various people who are just trying to understand Christianity, trying to understand the gospel, and one of the common questions is, what is it that makes Christianity unique? Aren't all religions the same? Aren't they all uh, different paths up the same mountain, different flavors of the same basic thing, you know, this idea of connecting oaths with God and the eternal? And my short answer to that is that what makes Christianity unique is the teaching of the gospel that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone, that unlike other religions that call us to sacrifice or call us to achieve or call us to conform to some moral order in order to become someone acceptable to our higher power to God, Christianity invites us to come to God our Father by faith alone and to be saved by grace alone. And Christianity says that there's no sacrifice we can offer that can make us right with God. There's no service we can offer that will earn our favor with God. There's no moral rule we can follow that will make us acceptable to God. And instead, simply what we need to do is trust in Jesus and experience salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Paul, the apostle, puts it this way, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace. Romans 3, 23 and 24. And And this is the heart of the gospel, that all people, regardless of what their lives look like, regardless of their background, regardless of their ethnic group, regardless of their status in society, all of us are equal before God as those who are spiritually bankrupt, those who are morally bankrupt, those who are in need of a savior. And then at the same time, By the grace of God, all of us can be adopted into the family of God and call God our father, call Christ our brother, and have a hope for eternal life. And this is, this is the heart of the gospel message. This is what makes Christianity unique among world religions, I believe. Now, Paul in Roman, in the book of Romans explains the gospel at length, and it's interesting because he spends five chapters laying out this idea that we're saved by faith alone through grace alone and that there's nothing in us that can redeem us but if we will simply trust in the grace of god we can experience his redemption and and our reconciliation to god our righteous standing before god is 100 percent based on god's grace to us now, there's a common objection, an objection that I've heard often when I have tried to explain this to people, an objection that apparently Paul hears. And that makes me think that it's an objection that anybody who's faithfully preaching the gospel is going to hear. And it's simply this. Does this mean that what we, nothing that we do actually matters? Does that mean that if we believe in Jesus, we should just do whatever we want? We've got this insurance policy. And, uh, you know, rationally speaking or humanly speaking, that's, a, that's a, a normal way of thinking, I think. You know, if this is free, that means we don't have to give anything to it. That means we don't have to pay anything for it. That doesn't mean means we don't have to work for it. And Paul, however, in Romans, you know, it's, it's a very systematic book. And so the first thing he does after laying his case out for five chapters is he anticipates this objection and works to clarify his message. And that's our text for today, Romans 6, verses 1 through 7. It's on the screen. You can follow along in your Bibles. Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of God the Father, we too might live a new life. For if we've been united with him, This is God's word for God's people this morning. So Paul anticipates this objection, he anticipates this question, if we're saved, if we're really saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and there's nothing we contribute to it, but we simply trust in the merit and the mercy of God in Christ, then does that mean we should just do whatever we want? Or, as he puts it, shall we go on sinning so that grace will increase? If God's grace is honored by by forgiving our sins, does that mean we should sin more so that we can experience more grace? And like I say, that's a reasonable question because in Paul's day, as in our day, one of the purposes of religion, one of the reasons you hope people get religion is so that they'll have a reason to do good, so that they'll have a reason to be good, so that they'll start living moral and upright and honorable lives. and But but as I said, if you're truly preaching the gospel, some people will say, well, that makes the gospel religion useless because it doesn't require us to live moral and honorable lives. It just requires us to trust in Jesus Christ. So Paul anticipates that confusion and he clarifies. He says that you've got to understand how the power of the resurrection today gives you even a more powerful motive to change your life than simply fear of punishment or a desire to conform to some set of rules. So what I want to talk about today is how that free grace changes us, how the power of the resurrection transforms us. And what Paul is saying here is that it's quite simply this, a redemptive understanding of grace, true faith in Christ recognizes that grace is free to us, not because it's cheap, but because it's so expensive that to try to pay for God's grace is to denigrate God's grace. God's grace can only be purchased through the suffering of Christ on our behalf. We can't redeem ourselves, but we rest in the redemption that was accomplished by Christ. See, the idea of being saved by grace through faith, that's not just a sterile dogma or just a formula that we have to recite in order to experience God's grace. God's grace comes when we look at Jesus, or as he says here, it comes through our union with Christ. Grace and salvation in the Christian world comes through looking at Christ and recognizing in Christ the one who paid and achieved and sacrificed to redeem our life. It's a gift that's free to us, but it was expensive to Jesus. Paul goes on to say in, in Romans 6, verse 2, he says, are, We are those who've died to sin, so how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. So faith is not just a formula we recite. True saving faith is being united with Christ in his death. To look at the cross and say, He died for me. I'm so broken, I'm so sinful, I'm so guilty that He had to die for me. But the flip side of the gospel is simply this. I'm so loved, I'm so favored, I'm so chosen, that he was glad to die for me. This is the Christian doctrine of grace. This is the hope of everybody who embraces Jesus as their Savior and as their Redeemer. It's not just a matter of reciting a simple formula. It's a matter of connecting personally to the sacrifice of Christ for us, to seeing in the suffering of Christ that he's suffering in our place, to seeing in, in the sacrifice of Christ his great, great love for us, and then allowing that to change us. I think one of the ways we see that illustrated the best in the, is in some of the songs that we sing, like the one we just heard. Jesus paid it all, to so all to him I owe. And sin had left a crimson stain, and he washed it white as snow. Or there's another hymn that some of you might have heard by Isaac Watts. It goes like this. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die. Would he devote his sacred head for such a worm as I? Was it for sins that I had done that he groaned upon a tree? Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond decree. Did my savior bleed and did my sovereign die for me? That's the thing that you've got to wrap your mind around as a Christian. To have a glib view of salvation by grace through faith being free and therefore cheap is to miss the point of the sacrifice of Christ and to miss the point of the suffering of Christ for you. But if you do come to understand that Jesus has given himself for you and that nothing less than the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is what redeemed you, and if you're redeemed by the sacrifice of Christ, you need nothing more, then that begins to transform you from the inside out. Grace in the Christian doctrine is not free because it's cheap. It's free to us because it's so expensive that for you to try to repay God for his grace is for you to be insulting the grace of God. You can't offer to pay for it without cheapening it. You can't try to earn it without degrading it. The only way you truly respect the grace of God is if you're willing to receive it as a free gift, and thank him for it, and praise him for it, and rest in it, and believe that his grace is sufficient for you. So that's what it means to be united with Christ in his death. To say, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, and he washed it white as snow. But the Bible says not just that we're united with Christ in his death, we're also united with Christ in his resurrection. Paul goes on to say that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might live a new life. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was his victory over sin and over death, not just for himself so that he could live forever, but for all of his followers so that we could live forever. We have nothing to fear in this life because Jesus has shown us that God is powerful over our greatest enemies and over the most intimidating foes that we might face. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work to help us become the people that he wants us to be. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that's going to work in you to help you overcome your habits and your hang-ups and your addictions and the struggles that you have and set you free to become the person that God has designed you to be, and that God hopes that you will become. See, we've got to see as followers of Christ, it means that the victory of Christ was not just for him, but it was for us, and that his victory was our victory. We're like fans of his, we're like followers of his, we're subjects of his, and we're cheering him on, and we're celebrating now and living in the victory that he won for us on that first Easter when he rose from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, I think, articulates this well for us. It's an old hymn of the faith, one of the first hymns that the early church sang. Paul says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a summary of the work of Christ right there. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can no more save ourselves than we can resurrect ourselves from the dead. But the work of the gospel, the work of Jesus is he conquered death for us and we simply need to rest in him. We simply need to trust in him. That's what it means to be united with him in his resurrection. The key to new life is, the key to new power, the key to a transformed life is recognizing that everything is different because Jesus conquered death on our behalf. And whether we find ourselves in the midst of wealth and success and joy and love, or when we find ourselves in the midst of pandemic and suffering and isolation and fear and unemployment and struggles, because Jesus rose from the dead, Everything is different, and we can begin to have hope. It's not apart from the death of Christ, but in the death of Christ that we see God's power and God's grace for us. And Jesus rose from the dead that we too might live a new life. This is the free gift of expensive grace. This is the gift of power to the powerless. This is the gift of help to the helpless. This is the gift of redemption to the irredeemable. And that's what Jesus came to do for you. That's what Jesus came to do for us. And the process of becoming a follower of Christ, becoming a child of God, is simply remembering that there's nothing we can do except this gift. As another hymn says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And as we do that, we can experience new life in him and through him. Paul goes on to say that it's this free grace, ultimately, that sets us free. One of the highest values... In Paul's day, one of the highest values in our day for human life is to be free, to not be subject to other people, to not be subject to forces that are beyond our control, but to be able to act according to our greatest desires and according to the things that we really want to do, to do what we most deeply desire. The problem for a lot of us is that our desires are in conflict. You know, I talked to a friend who thought that during this quarantine when we had all this time on our hands that they might use the time to learn a language but then the reality is even though we'd like to use all this time redeem all this time and come out of this quarantine trilingual or quadlingual, instead we end up using all this free time just to scroll through uh, Netflix and and to stream YouTube and so see, we have a lot of desires and the problem is our desires are in conflict and what happens in the Gospel is he helps us unify those desires and put all those desires in their proper order so that we can become what we most desire to be. I think the the ultimate question for all of us is who are we when nobody's looking? And what kind of person do we really want to be and do we have the power, do we have the will, do we have the ability to become that person or to act the way? that that person wants to be. What kind of person do you want to be on the job? What kind of person do you want to be in your family? What kind of person do you want to be when nobody's looking, which is actually the kind of person you are when God alone sees you? And so we have these conflicting desires, but what the gospel does when the gospel sets us free is it reorders our desires according to our design. And uh, this is a big topic, but I I think it's summed up well by something that John Stott wrote. He said, true freedom is the freedom to be your true self. And my true self is made for loving, but loving requires self-giving. So in order to be myself, I have to deny myself and I have to give myself. In order then to be free, I have to give up my freedom in order to live. I have to die to my self-centeredness. In order to find myself, I first need to lose myself. See, to be redeemed by God and to have our life redeemed means to be set free. It means to find the power from God that enables us to overcome those habits, those hang-ups, and those, those sins that are a part of our life and become the person he wants us to be. And so I speak as one who struggles with sin. I know I speak to people who have and have brought their own struggles with with sin to to the table today. And I want to just invite you as we struggle and when we struggle, the gospel anticipates that. But the gospel also has the resources for us to deal with that because we can go back to God and go back to his grace and ask him for his favor in the midst of that struggle. Verse 6 says this, we're no longer slaves to sin. You know, we're not trapped by the limits of our own abilities. We're not trapped by our own tendency to go in the wrong direction. But the same power that raised Jesus from the dead can enable us to live a new life and to find true freedom through our relationship with him, to become everything he designed us to be. So the life change comes from recognizing that true freedom comes through Christ, but life change also comes when He gives us hope. The reality is that life can be confusing, life can be depressing, and we experience all kinds of struggles in this world and struggles within ourselves. Sometimes the most shocking thing is to see the anger, to see the fear, to see the anxiety that we find in ourselves, and ask, why hasn't God helped us to get past these things? We face the pandemic all around us. We face crime, unemployment, worry, and prejudice in this world around us, and sometimes it seems hopeless. We look at our own lives, and I know some of you are facing illness and extended disability. You're facing loneliness and anxiety struggling with addiction or depression, but the resurrection means even in our struggle or especially in our struggle, we can live in hope. Hope means we haven't yet received all that we're going to receive, that what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that one day it will happen and so we're going to live in faith, we're going to live in confidence, we're going to live in joy, and we're going to live in anticipation until that time happens, because we will be united with him in his resurrection. You know what this means? It means that one day our flawed and broken and imperfect and afflicted and disabled and ill and ailing bodies will be made new. One day... The marks of abuse and victimization and, and illness and other pathologies that we struggle with will be removed from us. And that's the promise of the gospel. Jesus rose from the dead and one day we will be united with him in his resurrection. He didn't just conquer death for himself. He conquered death so that you and I could have the hope of eternal life. Paul thinks about it in another place, and he says that this means that our light and momentary afflictions that we face right now are achieving for us an eternal glory that one day will far outweigh them all. And Paul looks at his own life, and he looks at our life and the struggles we have and our efforts towards improving. He says, you know, one day all of those efforts are going to pay off. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, he puts it this way. He says, stand firm and let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know, in light of the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead and conquered death for you and for me, in light of that, you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We live in a broken world. We're frustrated by a pandemic that's ruining our plans and some in some cases, ruining our careers or ruining our business businesses and just uh, making us uncertain about what the future is, making us uncertain if we're going to go to school next year, making us uncertain what the next year will, will hold. We live in a world where we're heartbroken by what's happening to our families, where we live in a world where we're upset by what's happening in society. And all of this brokenness, all of this loss tends to lead us to despair, or could lead us to despair. But the victory of Jesus over death can give us hope that one day, and give us confidence that one day all things will be made new, because the last enemy to be destroyed has been destroyed by our Lord Jesus Christ. And just as God worked by the cross and the resurrection, to redeem suffering, to redeem injustice, to redeem agony, to redeem spiritual darkness, and bring in new light. He's gonna work in your life to redeem your hopelessness, to redeem your fear, to redeem your despair, to redeem your losses, and bring new life through these things. He's going to redeem the tragedy you've known. He's going to redeem the injustice you've suffered. He redeemed the broken body of Jesus, and he's going to redeem your broken life as well. There's hope in him. You can be and will be united with him in his resurrection if you will believe in him. And if you know that today, if you believe in him today, that hope is your hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be a people with resurrection power. I think of my friends today who are struggling with addiction, struggling with hang-ups, struggling with anxiety, struggling with despair over the place that their lives are at this moment. I pray that you would break through that, that struggle, break through that slavery to set them free, break through that fear and that despair to give them hope. Help us to be a people who are united with Christ in his death, that we might also be united with Christ in his resurrection and live with hope here and now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.